1: now
4: All right, folks, welcome to Nino's ninoscorner.tv. I have a really amazing guest this time around. All my guests are pretty amazing, honestly. Uh, Timothy Alberno. Alberno, right? Alberino. Alberino. All right, let's say that. Timothy Alberino, um, the modern-day Indiana Jones, as people like to call him. Uh, this guy has a hell of a story. Author of Birthright. Uh, basically, he talks about the origins of mankind, mankind to transhumanism. Um it's a really deep, deep book, and uh, he just—you did—you just come back from visiting Epstein Island, uh, or was yeah, that a couple of weeks ago? I was in the Virgin Islands,
5: <clears throat> and I had That's an opportunity
4: to, to go over there. So let, let's talk about. Let's kick it off with that first. So now, folks, let's, let's make this clear. He didn't go to Epstein Island to do anything. He went around the perimeter of the island, correct? You went around the perimeter. Yeah, you can. Out.
5: Yeah, you can. You can. Uh, jump on a catamaran and and uh sail around the island um epstein doesn't own the ocean around his island you in fact it's really good snorkeling right there so a lot of people go and snorkel uh right off the shore of his island so if you try and if you try and actually go on the island you're trespassing and they can legally shoot you so uh there people and on also, the island? what's that
4: are there people on the island?
5: There's security on the island, but uh, in the 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 island has been pretty devastated in the aftermath of Hurricane Irma. Uh, for example, that uh, the Golden Dome that everybody's familiar with on that bizarre temple, whatever it is that Epstein built on his island, that dome was completely ripped off, and the statues that were on top were ripped off and thrown into the ocean, and and uh, a lot of the palm trees were uprooted. So it's it's it's. It's in pretty rough shape right now, uh, his villa and so forth. But there are care- there are caretakers on the island still.
4: Um, <laughs> Who are the caretakers? Like, who's caretaker? Well, I believe photos? that
5: his brother, I believe his name is Mark Epstein, it has been overseeing the island. Um, and, in fact, it's up for sale now. I think it's for sale for $125 million. Wow. And it just went up for sale as soon as I got home. So, no, I did not go on the island. I went Around the island on a catamaran. And I made a video about it on my YouTube channel. But, uh, you know, I was careful not to show too much and certainly not to set foot on the island because A, I didn't want to get shot. And B, if you put too much footage of the island on YouTube, they'll take your channel down. So I was. What about uh, even very- talking about it? Or even talking about it too much, they'll they'll censor you. They they wouldn't really, really monetize that video. Isn't and that I didn't, say any, I, I didn't even say anything controversial. I pretty much just said what is known and
4: what has been reported in the mainstream media. So that but that video's still up on YouTube. But they just it's didn't still monetize. up. Yeah, on my YouTube channel. Oof. You know what I like to do sometimes on my YouTube channel is I put videos up and then I take them down. I, I just I, you know most people go to the Nino's Corner TV. To get all the French kind of man, that's, that's risky, dude. You're risking it. <laughs> Be careful with it. No,
5: you know, I didn't say anything. As I said, I didn't do anything or say anything super controversial. It's, you know, uh, there's plenty of videos on YouTube about Epstein and his island. Um, I didn't fly a drone over the island or anything like that. So I, I tried to, uh, again, I tried to reduce the amount of footage that I used of the island and of me at the island uh, to try and avoid being kicked off of YouTube.
4: I've been Did kicked off this of YouTube one? before. So that means you're doing something good. Um, Well, I would talk, I
5: talk a lot about the Vatican and and Hillary Clinton and stuff like that. And they kicked me off. So I I had to restart my YouTube channel, which is Timothy Alberino, by the way, for people who are interested.
4: You got, you got a pretty damn good following. You got about 130,000 on there now. Yeah. 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 That's damn good. So this is kind of like what you do. So you went to the Epstein Island, you go different places like searching for truth. Right lost relics, things like that, like a modern-day Indiana Jones. We could call you that.
5: Yeah, I've, uh, I'm have i'm I'm an author, explorer, and filmmaker. And so I've gone all over the world uh, making films and investigating things related to the ancient past, ancient enigmas, looking for lost treasures, legendary creatures, um, studying megaliths, lost civilizations. I've, I've done that all over the world. And I actually lived in peru uh for a decade in the amazon I, ju- I dropped out of high school when i was 18 years old and moved to the amazon Good for you. And, and i lived in the amazon for a decade and and so and then i ended up working with uh Ghana when did you, say you lived
4: in the amazon like in a fucking hut or like where were we well, some of the time yeah um <laughs> but
5: you know i moved around uh, i i journeyed around peru most of the time i spent in the amazon but i also went up in the andes um, Wait, were you among the indigenous there? Or were... For some of the time, yeah. I mean, I I spent a lot of time deep, embedded deep in the Amazon, um, living with hunters,
4: lumberjacks, and some of the villagers in and some and then, small villages. And the main purpose you were there was just to, what were you doing in the Amazon exactly? That is a very long story, but uh, <laughs> it was uh, sort of
5: a... Let's call it a quest. I was, uh, I was on a quest. I, I had a burning desire to know God. I wanted to have a burning bush experience with God. That's what drove me into the jungle, and it's a very, very long story. <laughs> Can I ask you if you did ayahuasca? I did not. Really not? I've never. I done have, that'd be like
4: the first thing I would I would be seeking for if I went to the Amazon. Was
5: well, let's just say that I didn't have to do ayahuasca. I had a life-altering experience deep in the Amazon. But uh, as I said, that's a very very long
4: story. No, oh, I got you. So you 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 basically are you go in search of cryptoids? Is that the best thing to call them cryptoids? Or well, thought with some... like Bigfoot or like Loch Ness uh, monster,
5: those type of things. I'm always investigating and and have been interested in cryptids. Um, but i've spent most of my time investigating the megaliths the megalith builders and and uh, lost civilizations and the um like you know atlantis. the idea the idea that there was an advanced civilization that was obliterated from the face of the earth a very long time ago um and that we we had to basically reset civilization thousands are you, are you of years 10,000
4: 10, years ago is that atlantis
5: I think Atlantis is is a uh, an allegory of that civilization. Um, so it would, be, it would be an Atlantis-like civilization. I do believe that Atlantis was an actual empire. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously nobody's ever found evidence of Atlantis yet.
4: Right, right. And, and, the, and the evidence they have found or they presumably found is underwater, right? people have gone looking for atlantis in the azores and different parts
5: of the world um in one of my videos i speculated that the island of sardinia is actually a, a candidate for atlantis i was i did a um some investigation on the island of sardinia as it pertains to giants um the nephilim yes and, um, and and during the course of that investigation, I came across some in- interesting information regarding the possibility that Sardinia was, in fact, the location of, of Atlantis. I don't know. It was it was it's just speculation. It's one of the many possibilities. But I do believe that Atlantis was a real city and, and more than a city. I believe it was an empire
4: mm-hmm. and I
5: believe it it ex- existed. Um, it existed concurrent with the Osirian Empire. Which was the beginning of the egyptian uh of, of the of, of the of ancient egypt it was the it was the root civilization from which
4: ancient egypt sprung ah gotcha. you so Egypt sprung from that civilization from what we see now we see the relics of uh, you know this was destroyed much far beyond uh, before Egypt was destroyed, right? So this would have been destroyed thousands of years before Egypt was? Yeah, as we see all over the earth, there
5: are certain megalithic constructions, uh, such as the Sphinx, the Great Sphinx um, in Egypt on the Giza Plateau that I believe are exceedingly ancient. And when I say exceedingly ancient, I'm talking about 12,000 years ago. Um, I believe that some of the megalithic constructions in Peru, uh, such as the the magnificent walls of Sacsayhuaman outside of Cusco, the foundations of Machu Picchu, um, and other locations, um, are very very old, and uh, and come from what I call the old world, the world that existed before the great cataclysm, right? That destroyed this. This lost civilization this this ancient advanced civilization that I think we have uh, evidence for all over the earth,
4: so what what like what kind of technologies do you presume they were using to build such you know megaliths like 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 i don 't know the pyramids or the or the things we see around the world, like the heavy, heavy blocks, heavy stones, perfectly placed what what kind of technology do you presume they were using well, let me
5: preface. My answer to that question by saying that um, it's not impossible to move megalithic stones even today. Primitive people are still moving megalithic stones in places like India and Indonesia. There's video of it online even. Um, So there's still megalith building cultures, although they're dying out rapidly. Primitive megalith building cultures alive today. Uh, So it's not that moving megalithic stones is impossible. Uh, where you find the the technological aspect of it, the aspect of it that, from my in my opinion, would require advanced technological capabilities and advanced knowledge, is in the the cutting of the stones and in the placement of the stones, the configuration of the stones. Um, we can take Sacsayhuaman for example. The the megalithic walls uh, outside of Cusco, um, the walls of Sacsayhuaman are impressive. Because they're absolutely enormous. I mean, some of the stones are 300 plus tons and uh, and were placed with such precision that you can't you can't slip the blade of a bl- butter knife between the wow. joints. Right. And uh, they're polygonal megalithic walls. And so they're they're fitted together almost as if they were molded in place or poured in Incredible. place or as if they were soft when they were when they were originally fitted. Um, but what's really incredible is the is the uh, the inclination of the walls and the way in which they were constructed, so that they could withstand cataclysm, so that they could withstand earthquakes, and uh, and other kinds of of um, of dramatic um, natural events, and uh, the the precision. Of the inclination of the walls and the way that they're built. And and, and they even have um, between some of the joints, there's smaller rocks that are placed between the joints so that the walls can flex and rock and compress. Interesting. Wow. So that they won't cr- that, that so that they wouldn't crumble in the event. massive ingenuity of basically. an earthquake. Yeah, it's 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 engineering that surpasses to some degree what we can do today that's incredible and uh, and uh, we've never been able to build as a, as a species we've never been able to build anything that equals the some of these megaliths around around the earth and we know that's the case because even today with all of the technology that we have um, modern cities are rocked by earthquakes and uh, and m- many of our buildings will still crumble even the ones that have the earthquake-proof foundations and so forth that are that are built on that are built in a way that they can sway with earthquakes are not as ingeniously designed as the megalithic walls of Sacsayhuaman, which have in fact withstood many earthquakes over the centuries. And, and indeed, in in Cusco, uh, there are records of earthquakes, massive earthquakes striking that region and and all of the the inca constructions many of the most prominent inca constructions as well as the spanish constructions would crumble would just absolutely crumble to the yeah. ground in the, in these earthquakes the great cathedrals that the spanish built for example and the palaces of the inca but the walls of sacsayhuaman were unmoved That's as incredible. well as the other as well as the other megaliths um megalithic constructions megalithic walls around cusco um and so the the ingenuity is absolutely unsurpassed. And that speaks to not only a level of um, masonry and architecture that surpasses to some degree what we can do today, but you're also talking about a level of mathematics and physics that were in play. Can we pose a question that is extraterrestrial? I don't believe it's extraterrestrial. Uh, well, the, well, you know, I can put in... Um, the. I don't believe that 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 the the extra that extraterrestrials were directly responsible for the construction of those walls. Although, if you ask me if I believe that the the technology the the knowledge was extraterrestrial, my answer would be probably in part. But that would be a very complicated answer um, to explain in full. Um, but uh, I, I I do believe that there are some ways to cut stone that were just. Beginning to understand um, some fascinating, very primitive ways that you can that you can um, cut through pretty much any substance on earth. We now know that if you have parabolic lenses that are made of um, a polished metal such as brass or bronze or something like that or gold, um, you can position a parabolic lens in such a way that you can direct sunlight into a okay. focused beam. And that focused beam can, as I said, can cut through any substance on planet earth. And uh, there's experiments that have been done in labs um, that are just absolutely amazing. Like just using the sunlight, just using the sunlight. People can look this up on YouTube and you'll see that in laboratories today. Uh, there are laboratories that have parabolic Lenses on top of their uh, on top of the, the lab, and it's f- and it's focusing a beam of sunlight down through uh, the lab, um, and you can actually see the beam of sunlight. You know, if you spray some water at it or something, you'll see the beam of sunlight. And um, there, as I said, there's videos on YouTube where they're taking all kinds of different substances, including solid rock, and putting it into the beam. And as soon as that rock hits the beam, it starts to melt. Incredible. So, and they're just using parabolic. Lenses, so you can imagine that in the in the distant past, but everything
4: would have to be rightly positioned. Everything would have to be exactly
5: positioned, and you could you can beam that sunlight from one parabolic lens to another to another to another. Wow! To focus the light directly where you want to, and so you can imagine as the sun moves, you'd have to be moving the lenses, and if you can keep that beam of light focused on, let's say, the rock that you're cutting, and and it doesn't cut it like a saw, like right through. You know, very quickly, it's, it's rather it's a slow sort of cutting process where the sunlight will actually smoothly cut through the rock like a diamond saw. Uh, and uh, and you would get those sort of rounded edges um, that we see on the megaliths. Now, I don't know if this is the technology that was actually employed to cut some of this stone, but certainly it was a technology available to ancient people, even in in some respects of primitive people, although we have to use that word uh, primitive uh, carefully because if, if, if you're making parabolic lenses and, and directing sunlight in this fashion, that's pretty ingenious. That's, that's pretty sophisticated technology. Again, we're only just discovering this today and doing experimentations with it. So that's one possibility. Could the ancients have first of all could the ancients have crafted parabolic lenses of course they could uh, the greeks could the romans could um and we know that the inca could for sure the inca were making you know the, the inca were crafting things that were that were um large circular objects made of gold and silver and and, and bronze and brass um so it, it would not have been very difficult uh for Uh, an iron age civilization to craft a parabolic lens and then to direct the sunlight so is this what they were doing i don't know but i do know that if they but that they could have cut through solid stone using just the sun that's
4: incredible now before we get into the book birthright and we start going from where we see the humanity going into transhumanism uh, you know i wanted to start off with a little backstory about you the origin of mankind i think we've Lightly treaded on that just a little bit, but before we go into the birthright, I want to get your view on your thoughts on the Nephilim. Your thoughts on the giants? Um, did giants roam this planet? Did giants walk this planet? Uh, the short answer is yes.
5: Uh, I was uh, I had the opportunity to work with a man who I think is probably the, the leading expert on giants worldwide. His name is Steve Quayle, and Steve and I did a documentary series together documentary film series together and, it, and that series called true legends um was all about giants and looking for evidence of giants um and uh i believe that from, from the evidence that i have seen and from the investigations that i have done i firmly believe that giants did walk the earth in the past and now, indeed, how big are we talking well, you know, you have to remember that people were relatively small um, in the ancient past. Uh, the average height was probably five seven, five six, five seven. But then again, you would have certain people, uh, certain tribes and races of people around the earth who would be exceptionally tall. Um, such as the Gauls, for example, uh, during the time of the Romans, they were you know, probably six to six and a half feet tall, a lot of them. So um, when we talk about giants, an eight-foot guy, you know, an NBA basketball player would be certainly be categorized as a giant in the ancient world. Um, so I think there's ample evidence for guys that were seven, let's say seven to eight feet tall. But even beyond that, uh, I believe that there were giants from nine to even up to fifteen, and perhaps even up to twenty feet tall. That's incredible! And of course, um, there's anecdotal evidence all over the world of the existence of giants in the past, and even in the United States. I mean, um, anybody that's familiar with the with the mound build with the mound builders and the Smithsonian cover up of giant bones in the mounds. The Smithsonian's own records in the Smithsonian's Smithsonian's own records. Uh, we have accounts of um, of uh, gigantic humanoid bones being discovered, not only in the mounds but in other parts of America, and uh, and are, are being openly discussed in their memorandums. And even Abraham Lincoln mentions those ancient giants uh, whose bones were found in the mounds of America. Or can so be found when, in when the let's Mound say an
4: archaeologist America. starts unearthing something like this. Does the Smithsonian come in and shut them down? Well, you have to understand. Public,
5: yeah the the um, the Smithsonian uh, had a vested interest in a very particular worldview, historical worldview that was called isolationism. And isolation isolationism, the doctrine of isolationism, propounds that um, that all of the the disparate cultures around the world essentially developed in isolation. That they had no contact with other people, especially across, from across the sea. So, so the native people in America, uh, the origin of the of the American of the Native Americans is the the, the traditional um, uh, the traditional notion that they came over from the Bering Sea and that they then developed in that their cultures developed in isolation here in America without any kind of exterior influence um i believe that isolationism is is uh, has been completely debunked um and so but but the the smithsonian was was very much invested in this point of view Um, one of the directors of the smithsonian powell was his name was an avid avid uh, an avid isolationist and um was very much working to protect that specific narrative. And in fact, in, 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 in our film, um, I, I quote Powell uh, from a, from a memorandum in which he says that, you know, we can't talk about these giants. We can't talk about the giants, meaning the giant, the bones of the giants that were being discovered until he says, until we can determine from whence they came, where they came from. And uh, so, because again because of this isolationist view so powell and and the other people at the smithsonian didn't want to talk about giants because it didn't fit into
4: the conventional narrative and it also doesn't fit into evolution does it
5: Uh, well that's the other thing is it's a it was a darwinian isolationist perspective so it was very much um the theory of evolution um in line with the theory of evolution and isolationism and anything that um, anything that challenged those narrative, those those sacrosanct narratives um, was shelved, literally shelved. And so I can't prove it. But I do believe that. And I have talked to people, whistleblowers from who, who had connections with the Smithsonian um, that have told me that there are, in fact, vaults. So that, that, that the Smithsonian has vaults, in some cases underground vaults,
4: that they're, that they're hiding from all of us. It's like an it's in an which
5: answer. they in which they have sequestered all of the out of place artifacts that would challenge the Darwin, the Darwinian isolationist conventional worldview of history, and uh, including the bones of giants. Now, of course, this is all anecdotal, and until somebody produces hard evidence of uh, gigantic remains a, a massive cranium, for example, a humanoid cranium. Um, it's, it's all in the realm of speculation, although I, I firmly believe, I think there's enough anecdotal evidence to conclude, to logically conclude that there were, in fact, giants roaming America, not to mention all of the uh, the Native American legends pertaining to giants, and not only roaming America, but, but on every continent of the world. Uh, there were giants in my estimation
4: do, do you side more with evolution or do you side more with creationism no i am
5: i am firmly i i, I am firmly uh, founded in a biblical worldview and uh, and have been thoroughly convinced of that view uh, of so view, you're a creationist. Of I am a creationist yes i, and, I and that, in creator. that in that i believe that uh, I, I believe the biblical narrative. I am not a young Earth creationist, however. I believe that the Earth is very old um, and that the universe is exceedingly old and that there is a whole lot going on before the human race showed up. And,
4: in fact, that's what
5: my book's about, uh, in part.
4: So let's get into Birthright. Um, origin of Mankind, I think we touched on that a little bit. Uh, where are we headed? And, this, and I'm sure you covered this in your book. We're headed to transhumanism, correct?
1: you oh fighterflare.com. Flair.com.
5: Yes, and that's precisely why in my book I begin with what I call the, the patrimony and purpose of the human species. So, in order to understand where we're going, we have to understand where we've come from. You know, the, 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 the two essential questions that we have to ask ourselves today are what does it mean to be a human being? Number one, and number two, is it worth preserving our humanity, and these are questions that are have really only been relevant to our generation The, the generations preceding us did not have to contemplate those questions because um, they didn 't have the technology to fundamentally alter the human species on a genetic level uh, cybernetically and uh, and uh, um, using using the artificial intelligence the the neural link and and then of course the the uh genetic technologies uh, through genetic engineering that we can do today um they didn't these things just they didn't exist and so the idea that the human species could could self evolve itself um could consciously evolve into some other form of being was was just science fiction back then it's no longer science fiction today uh, transhumanism, which, by, wait, wait. The, by the way, the, the word transhuman, transhuman or transhumanism is indicative of a transition. In fact, that's where, where you get the word trans in transhumanism. It's a transition. It's a transitional period. On this side of the transition where we are now, you have Homo sapiens. You have human beings. On the other side of transhumanism, you have something other than human beings. You have a post-human Paradigm, and
4: this is inevitable. It's where we're headed, and we're and we're right. headed there at a very rapid pace. But that's that's the whole God question, then, because now man is playing God. That's that's the debate, right? Now man is playing God. Now man is taking. I mean, and who and the people that are going to be the gods are the people that own the data that allow you. To that's
5: exactly able- right, and, and you know this is a, as I said, this is a new question that we have to contemplate. A question that's relevant to our generation, however. However, the, um, the idea, the notion of becoming gods is very, very ancient. In fact, for those who are familiar with the biblical narrative, it was part of the temptation in the Garden of Eden where the serpent said to Eve, you shall become like the gods if she were to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge uh, that she would become like the god so it's that very same impetus it's that very same same temptation that's at work that's in play today except for the difference is today we actually have the power to fundamentally alter our uh, the the trademarks that make us human the cognitive the genetic trademarks that make us human and and consciously evolve ourselves into quote unquote gods in fact in my book i talk about the um, I talk about the development of a new religion that we, we are witnessing the, the development order
4: religion basically
5: exactly it 's a religion it's it 's a one world religion that 's going to go along with the one world order the new world order, which of course is Science. being discussed openly today the world ec- by the world economic forum, and they just had a a conference uh, i believe in the in the last couple of days in Dubai where they're where they're openly discussing a new world order. And th- these are their words. This is these aren't, no. you know, Alex Jones's conspiratorial type stuff. This is their words. They're discussing the implementation, the inauguration of a new world order and as part of this new world order that the the first order of business is to create a one world currency. And that they're they're they they're openly discussing this a few days ago in Dubai. Maybe they're still discussing it, maybe the conference is still ongoing. But this is one of the primary conversations that they're having. They they want to create a digital one world currency. And that and of course, that's just the first step towards creating a one world government, which is their ultimate plan and and, as I said, to go along with this you 're going to see a one world religion, a new religion that is that is beginning to emerge, and that religion is um, it 's it's an amalgamation of, of a couple of things and, and, and so to to be able to convey what this religion is about, I actually coined a new term I call it apotheotheism that mm-hmm. this is the religion of the future it 's apotheotheism theism, because most people are under the impression that that um, in the future, everyone is going to be a secular atheist, because that seems to be the trend. Atheism is on the rise. But I contend that, indeed, that will not be the case, that in the future, there will be no atheists on planet Earth. Um, I believe that uh, what we're going to see is is, as I said, the amalgamation of a couple of different ideas, apotheotheism, um, which derives from two words, uh, um, apotheosis, apotheosis, which is the deification of man. That's what apotheosis means, and theism, which is a belief in the gods. And so when you combine apotheosis and theism, you get apotheotheism, which is the recognition that the gods do in fact exist, and we shall become like them. Like we them. will become like them. So and that's a possibility. Inevitable theism. It is inevitable, and that has to do with the alien question. See, I believe that we are on the cusp of the of disclosure of the alien presence, and and again, just like the new world order is no Perfect. longer a is no conspiracy. longer relegated to the realm of conspiracy, in the same way. The question of UFOs and aliens is no longer relegated to the realm of conspiracy. The Pentagon is now talking about UFOs openly. In fact, the bill that just passed in Congress, I forget the name of it, has funding in the bill for a new uh, study. To be done, I believe, at the level of the Pentagon regarding UFOs. Congress is now demanding to know about the UFOs, the UFO question. Of course, the terminology has been changed. Now they're talking about UAPs, Unidentified uh, Aerial Phenomenon. Um, But we're just talking about UFOs. So we we are we are getting closer and closer to a disclosure moment. And we all know it was in the headlines a few months ago that NASA was involved in contracting. Well, they contracted with Princeton University, with the theological department at Princeton University, um, who uh, in Princeton then uh, contracted with uh, certain clergy people in order to study the effect of alien disclosure of the disclosure of extraterrestrial life sentient life on the religious community how would that affect the religious community especially the christian community and so you have nasa um, that's that's pursuing these studies um, and then you have the pentagon that's beginning to admit not beginning to has admitted that ufos are in fact real and most likely constitute vehicles quote vehicles not made on this earth, um, and are uh, and and very likely constitute a also constitute a a national security threat. That's the sort of the terminology that the that this disclosure is being couched in, and and so when you when you start to when you start to think about all these different things that are happening. The this the formulation of a new world order, the formulation of a new uh, religion, this apothe- theism, uh, uh the ongoing disclosure of UFOs and ultimately of the alien presence on Earth. Um, we're headed into uh, very uh, dynamic times. And then, of course, add into all of this uh, transhumanism. The fact that we now have the technology to fundamentally alter what it means to be human. And that's all of that. My book
4: covers all of that, the spectrum of of all of that and what it means and where it's going from a biblical worldview. Don't you think, though, that they could be engineering this contact, the governments, to bring in the one world order? You know, there's a lot of talk about this fake alien invasion. You know, you don't don't you see that they could be engineering this because if aliens exist, they've already been here. We know we know that they've they've been in touch with it. I think it's at more at a spiritual level. But do you think that the type the type of contact that the government's getting ready to bring forward is more so engineered? It's it's possible
5: that that part of the reason why they are so anxious to to create this one world government body is to address the alien threat. Um. Now. I call it the alien threat in my book because uh, we're dealing with several different factions. I believe of entities that that uh, we have encountered. And by we the way, all be good. You, you asked about the the ancient alien question. So again, I want to remind you that I'm coming from a biblical worldview, and most people would think that you know uh, aliens and UFOs don't have anything to do with the with the biblical worldview with with the narrative of scripture. But that's actually entirely false. Um, the opposite is true the, the the Bible squarely presents us with a a galactic context a, a galactic worldview a galactic paradigm simplified in which extraterrestrials are in fact uh, players on the stage and, um, and and so you know that that's uh that's something that I spent a lot of time on uh, in birthright but uh, so there's more than one faction in play here. So I think that we are being confronted with a, an, an alien threat. That and that threat is 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 being posed by the the group called the Gray Aliens, which are those 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 typical alien beings with the, with the big all, bulbous heads and the almond shaped eyes, the black almond shaped eyes. Um, but that there's another group in the background that are going to show up, perhaps to to save us from this threat or to to um, to aid us uh, in our time of need as we're trying to as we're attempting to deal with this threat. Um, And that group would be for those in your audience who are familiar with uh, um, who are versed in ufology, that would be the 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 Pleiadian or Mm. the Nordic group, Nordics. Who I believe are I believe that those beings are in fact the angelic race that we encounter in the in the in the biblical narrative and and among that group you have good guys and bad guys you have you have those who are loyal to the king and to the kingdom of heaven,
4: and then you have the the reprobate the apostate sons of God who you're putting this in a galactic level, like people need to understand like when they talk about the heavens. We're talking about it galactically, right? The cosmos, the cosmos. The cosmos exactly. Yeah.
5: I, and, and I and, and and I believe, as I said, that the that the biblical narrative is framed in this galactic context, um, and uh, and that there was in fact a, a pre-Adamic uh, civilization. In the universe, and that it 's from that civilization that these beings that we that we know as angels in the biblical narrative they hail from that civilization, which is in fact a very advanced civilization and and that the the craft that we see uh, the technology that we that we see in these in the UFOs displayed in these UFOs this advanced
4: technology um, belongs to their civilization so the grays. Are AI basically right? Isn't that isn't that the consensus on what the greys are? Like most people say that they are AI. They're engineered by, let's say, the Nordics. Well, there, there really is no separate breakaway. There really is no consensus
5: as exactly as to what the greys are. However, however, I think we should assume that um, an advanced civilization would would have developed artificial general intelligence and would be implementing it in the same way that we will. In some decades down the road, we are and and we will in the future to a much greater extent. Artificial intelligence is going to be um, obviously very um, a a very important uh, factor in all of our technologies going forward, and it already is to some extent. But that's that's going to increase exponentially. And um, and so again, I think we should presume that an advanced civilization would have some form of artificial intelligence now. Are the grays some kind of robotic entities? Uh, I tend to think that um, that the grays are a kind of biological cybernetic drone. So it's they're 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 a mix of of um, of uh, genetic engineering and cybernetics, um, yeah. and uh, and it, which is, which I think is is where the human race is, is headed to some extent as well. Um, in in this post human paradigm that that I that I mentioned.
4: So, what's your thoughts on the soul? I mean, is AI going to take full control of humanity? And I know there has to be a battle for that. I believe that's the war we're in right now. Or do you believe there's a soul? Do you think man has a soul? Well,
5: I I, I certainly think that man has a soul. Um, but what exactly the consciousness the soul is? Uh, that's a that's a, a very fascinating and contentious uh, question um you have the materialist view which uh, which uh, proposes that in fact there is no soul that our consciousness is a function of our brain matter that's it that, that there's nothing outside of the brain and then you have a a more nuanced view that uh, that believes that although the brain is very important to consciousness and that consciousness can't really exist without the brain you have, the consciousness goes beyond the brain. It goes beyond the simple uh, mechanics of, of brain matter, of
4: gray matter, and that there's almost like a field of consciousness around. So it's, like, it's like an interface that taps into the ethernet of consciousness. Something like, like that, a, like a like a like an antenna, like a the, magnetic field, like like a magnetic an electromagnetic field that
5: is is connected with our biology, but is not contained within human biology. So it's certainly the brain interfaces with this field of consciousness. Um, and then, of course, you have people who believe in the third ca- category that your, your, your consciousness is, is actually who you are, and that if your body dies, you're, you, you are exactly what you are, regardless of whether or not um, you have a body. So you have this disembodied consciousness that exists without the body. And uh, so I probably fall into the second category that uh, there, that that we have a field of consciousness, but that our consciousness is is directly attached and and um, and uh, is dependent on our biology, but not necessarily contained within our biology. Um, in fact, I I'm of the opinion that 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 we that that consciousness that the soul probably resides in a in a uh, an extra, an extra spatial facet of, of our biology. In other words, of an of a, of, of a um, um, another dimensional aspect of our biology that that we can't directly perceive.
4: So, what happens when AI reaches a point of having consciousness and realizes itself? Right? Well, that's that's singularity.
5: That's yeah. That's that's part of this the the singularity phenomenon that a lot of people talk about. Um, I personally don't think that AI will ever be conscious in the way that we are conscious. It, it it it's it's machinery. It doesn't have that. It doesn't have the spark of life, and we can't give it that. that so that's the soul. We can. It, it can exactly. Uh, it can uh, mimic human thought and human cognition, and will and will far surpass um the the calculus of the of, of of the human brain our ability to process information to process data uh, obviously machines can already do that i mean I, I don't believe and i may be wrong by the on this but i don't believe that any human being can beat the most advanced ai chess player right now um so um I, uh, it's obvious that that uh, machines are going to far outpace us in in the the mathematical aspect the the, the ability to calculate and to process information um, but
4: but not, but not imagination i 'm
5: I'm not so sure that they'll, that AI will ever be capable of imagination it will only be able to 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 uh, do what we create it to do, so any kind of imagination that a machine would have would be, an, w- would be what we ourselves imbue it with, whatever imagination we imbue the machine with, but ultimately it comes from us um, but again, the, the, the processing the processing capabilities of of AI are going to be perhaps millions of times uh, faster uh, than, than our ability to process data, which is very frightening. It's a very frightening proposition because um, we're already giving our drones, for example, our drones, our autonomous drones are already able to, and we allow them to do this in some circumstances, to process information on the battlefield and to make a calculated decision whether or not to strike a target. So that's just a very fundamental, basic aspect of where we're going with artificial intelligence. So, if we're allowing artificial intelligence to to make these kind of calculations, which are moral calculations on their own, wow. um, the, the 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 danger is, and this is something that Elon Musk, I think, is is has been alarmed. This is one of the reasons why he's creating Neuralink so that we can get ahead of AI or at least compete with AI, um, because. Uh, artificial intelligence is going to going to be processing what would otherwise be considered moral decisions for humanity, and maybe maybe about humanity. What if artificial intelligence in the future decides that um, it the most logical course of action is to eradicate humanity? Right. Um, which of course there's a thousand movies and books uh, that are based on that premise, but it's, it's
4: well within the realm of possibility. hundred percent. You know, whenever I'm, th- I'm faced with the question about God, right? Like whenever someone asks me about God, I, I, and what we're talking about right now, I, 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 simplify it in this way. And I say that, and, and, and this is my opinion, the way I look at it, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Matter cannot create consciousness, but consciousness can create matter. So what came first, the chicken or the egg? To me, God is consciousness, and 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 consciousness can create matter. That's why I'm against evolution. I believe we are intelligently engineered and designed through conscious thought. What's your thoughts on that? I would agree with that wholeheartedly. You know, the, as pertaining to God, the the, the Bible
5: says that, that Jesus, in fact, said that God is spirit, and so um, I, I I I I completely agree that uh, that that consciousness that that. That God, the Father, as Jesus refers to him, uh, is the origin of all life and thought and mind and matter in the universe. And that, and that obviously, he came first. And actually, the Bible says, in fact, uh, the apostles say that, that the universe was created through, by, and for the Son of God. So the Father created, saw fit to create all things through his Son. And so I call Jesus in my book, I refer to Jesus as the singularity, because the singularity in physics is that, that point of, of infinite mass and density from, that exploded and created right. all of the matter in the universe, which is, of course, preposterous, unless, unless the singularity was a person. And it was a conscious mind from which matter and energy emanated and that and that the universe, in my opinion, was actually spoken into existence, which resonates with string theory, string theory, string theory. Proposes that at, at the very at the very uh, smallest level of matter, the most elementary uh, elemental level of matter that what you have is vibrating filaments and that, the, and that all of these filaments vibrate uh, in different ways and, and produce different notes, just like the strings on a guitar
4: Right, frequency it 's a frequency of vibration
5: right, and that depending on the frequency of the vibration, that gives you the different uh, um, the different elements uh, of uh, of atomic elements. Would you elements say that the so different
4: like that? frequencies are vibrations are the different dimensions?
5: Um, I would say that they're vibrating in in ten dimensions. You know, because string theory posits ten or more, at least ten dimensions. Um, and I also talk about that in my book. And, and so uh, it would appear then to me, to a lay person looking at this, and I've done a lot of research and reading on this, and I quote physicists like, like Michio Kaku in my book. Um, uh, to me, it seems that if string theory is, in fact, correct, and it is the leading theory of everything right now, it is the leading theory of uh, in of the of of um of uh, uh, the, the theory of everything, I was trying to think of the uh, the technical the technical term for the theory of everything that Einstein was pursuing um, voraciously before his death. Um, that if string theory is in fact correct, unified field theory—that's that's the technical technical name. If unified field theory, um, if the answer is string theory, if that's if that's if that's a the correct theory of the universe. Then it would seem to me that the universe was indeed spoken or sung into existence. That's beautiful. It is. is. And and, and it's very, and it's consonant. And as I said, it resonates with the biblical narrative completely because the Bible calls Jesus the Word, the Word of God that in the beginning um he was with god uh, uh, he was god and that nothing that was created was 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 created without him and he was the word spoken that's why i call him the singularity the very source of all matter and energy that's spoken true. into existence
4: i'm going to end it there i think there's an amazing amazing interview timothy um where can people reach you timothy
5: Um, they can find me, um, my website, timothyalbrino.com, my, my YouTube channel, Timothy Albrino. Go check that out. I have a birthright, um, a birthright lecture series on there that people should check out. It's, and I have it in English and in Spanish, by the way. Um, and, uh, and, um, I'm on Instagram, Timothy Albrino. I'm on Twitter, Timothy Albrino. And also, uh, I have a conference coming up in May from May 6th through 7th. The, um, it's called the Birthright Conference. And it's and it's gonna be taking place in Nashville, Tennessee. And you you mm. can get tickets for the conference. You can go to my website, and click on the banner, it'll take you over to get tickets. It's gonna be a phenomenal conference. We're gonna be talking about uh, transhumanism, uh, UFOs, aliens, and Bible prophecy. And it's going to be me and my, 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 um, my friend, uh, Gary Haven, Joe Allen from Steve Bannon's war room podcast, man, Kyle Muller from uh, the radio personality from Chicago. And it's going to be phenomenal conference. So if you want to go to that, go to my website, click on the banner and you can get your tickets. Uh, so that's pretty much where people can find me. And hey, thanks for
4: having me on. Yeah, absolutely, Timothy. You're welcome anytime you want. I'd lo- I mean, this could be segments. I mean, I'd love to go into more with you. So um, let's do it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you for coming on. And uh, I'll, I'm, I think this made YouTube. I, I think I can put this on YouTube. So I'll be putting <laughs> this. <on. laughs> I mean, dude. I mean, it's it's risky, but uh, I'm going to put this on uh, YouTube and Nino's Corner TV once again. Tim, thanks for coming on, man.
5: Yeah, and you know, by the way, you get my book on Amazon. I forgot to say, that. You get Birthright on Amazon.com
4: birthright on amazon.com sounds good all right tim thank you god bless you thank you brother